0: hey grandpa is it true that uh, santa carla is the murder capital of the world well uh, there's some bad elements around here wait a second let me get this straight are you telling me that we moved to the murder capital of the world are you serious grandpa well now let me put it this way if all the corpses buried around here was to stand up all at once we'd have one hell of a population problem listen buddy if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar went out of business last summer Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. That's a very serious book, man. Only five in existence. Four, actually. I'm always looking out for the other three. Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red Kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Lori the Mars hasn't even been introduced. Where the hell are you from? Krypton? Phoenix, actually. Maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? Mike, what happened? Nanook. No. What about Nanook? What'd you do to my dog, you asshole? One thing about living in Santa Carla I never could summon. All the damn vampires.
1: Welcome to Sweet Play Podcast. This is your host with the most Mike McMassoonist. How's everybody doing today? I am doing great guys and welcome to the Lost Boys episode and if you caught the last episode that I uploaded to you guys which was the underground hour episode of the top 10 guilty pleasures then you know what's going on in regards to why the Lost Boys is coming out versus mannequin if for some reason you didn't listen to that episode which you totally should because it was a total fun episode. Actually naming my top 10 Guilty Pleasure songs. Uh, The feedback has been really fun. It's been really cool. But essentially here's what's going on. As you know, EZA was the first episode in the Chick Flicks for Guys. And then we were going to be putting out Mannequin. But Jameson had some things come up and he can't do anything until the end of the month. So I decided to do a few one-off movies until we get to that point. And the first one was a movie that was voted on from the fans that they were like, yeah, that movie's totally awesome. That was The Lost Boys. And then we'll get to the Bill and Ted series, which is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and then Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, two movies that have been requested for quite a long time so i'm really excited to be talking those movies it's just going to be a lot of fun times before we roll back into mannequin and this episode is going to be a lot of fun i can't wait so before we roll into the review of the lost boys why don't we go ahead and get into some movie and music news So the first thing I want to talk to you guys about in movie news is my little mini review of a little tiny film called Sharknado. Now, as you guys know, there was a lot of craze last week going on for the Sci-Fi, you know, original movie. And we all know Sci-Fi, they make all those real crappy B movies, but the one that everybody was excited for was Sharknado, about a bunch of sharks that are inside a tornado eating people and we had uh, Ian Zuring from 90210 which would be aka Steve and then you had Tara Reid in there and it was just a big I mean think of Snakes on a Plane you know uh, social media I mean it was crazy everybody was excited for this piece of trash movie I know I was and needless to say I bought into the hype and I watched and of course it was absolutely terrible and that was what was so great about it uh, what I was really surprised about is the amount of violence that was in this movie. Now see, normally in a sci-fi movie, you have your typical violence, uh, but it's kind of off-air. In this one, you had the sharks that were on, people ripping their legs off, ripping their arms off. I mean, the granted, the sharks look like cartoons, so it was kind of cool. I mean, the cinematography was terrible. You'd have like one second where it's like pure uh, sunlight, and then the next second it'd be like darkness. I mean, it was the lighting was just terrible in this movie. Uh, Tara Reid was so bad, I almost vomited in my mouth. She was, she's such a, I think she's one of the worst actresses in the history of film. That's how terrible she is. So, of course, she would be the perfect person to put in a movie like this. And who would have thought that Ian Ziering Steve from 90210 would be the hero of the movie? And as he said, in the script i don't care if i'm spoiling anything but when you read the script and saw that i get to have a chainsaw inside of a shark then sign me up so and that's what we got so this movie was absolutely the pits but it's a complete awesome fun fest trash movie so if we're talking overall film the movie gets like maybe one and a half stars but if we're looking at total so bad it's so good and a total train wreck of a movie and it's just so much dumb fun three and a half four stars i mean that's how bad this movie is it was just so bad and i love the celebrities uh... tweets and comments on this film And it was just ridiculous. So I highly recommend you go check out on Sci-Fi channel Sharknado. It's a super fun piece of trash movie that I think all of you guys out there that love those movies that are so bad so good. This is the movie for you to check out. Alright so here's what we got going on in the rumor mill. Because again this is just rumor nothing confirmed. But evidently Marvel wants to work with two of the actors from the Dark Knight Trilogy. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Aaron Eckhart. And I watched a pretty cool interview with Aaron Eckhart in regards to, you know, his thought process on coming back to a comic book movie. Uh, He's talked to Chris Nolan, you know, and one of the things he was talking about is how, you know, he never imagined how Robert Downey Jr. could be just so amazing as Iron Man. You know, he's kind of the straight, serious, kind of dark way he would like to do a role versus robert downey jr just the and all the fun and everything like that and he did say you know marvel wants to work with him and and everything like that but and he was also talking about working with Keith ledger just how immersed he was and stuff so it's kind of cool you know we have aaron eckhart which i've always liked I definitely can see this movie that they're kind of rumoring at this point Doctor Strange. I mean, Doctor Strange is definitely one of those characters that is kind of out there. So, I think Aaron Eckhart could definitely be pretty cool in a movie like that. So, it'd be awesome just to see those two back again in a superhero movie. So, just take it as you will. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Aaron Eckhart being in a Marvel film, Doctor Strange... It's just rumor at this point. Nothing's confirmed. Heck, they probably haven't even been asked or spoken to or script or any of that other fun stuff. It's just fun little stories going around. But, you know, I'd, I'd rather see Aaron Eckhart in definitely a movie like Doctor Strange because it would be kind of dark and stuff. And as he said, that's kind of the movie he wants to be in. So uh, other interesting movie news going on this week. Now, this one is also comic book related, but I'm kind of excited about this one. Havoc from X-Men uh, First Class is going to be returning for the sequel. Uh, this is the Lucas Till is the actor who plays him. Uh, I really like this guy. He was really good in the first movie and uh, he's in this music video with Taylor Swift, uh, which is called um, You Belong With Me. And he was really funny and excellent in that music video. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I was like, yeah, this guy's an X-Men First Class. Awesome. So I really like this guy. He's cool. I'm glad he's going to be returning. It's kind of inevitable that pretty much anybody from First Class is going to be in this movie, but... You know, I think I'm more excited about this movie than most of the people are. I don't have high expectations, but I don't have low. They're just kind of medium. I just kind of want to see what's going on. But I think the time travel thing is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I definitely dig time travel movies. So I'm excited to see how they're going to play this all together. I know a lot of people I've talked to don't know that the the Wolverine, which is coming out soon, they don't know that it takes place after X-Men 3. So that's kind of one of the things it's like oh you didn't know that okay well you know now when you go in it'll make a little bit more sense kind of thing and for the last bit of movie news uh, basically there's a lot of comic con news that is out there today there's so much of it to talk about that i could literally spend a whole episode on it which i'm not going to I'm very excited to talk Lost Voice, so I essentially just kind of wanted to give you some brief stuff. I would highly recommend that you go check out the latest news for Comic-Con stuff. Type in 2013 Comic-Con. Read about all the stories that are going on. I'm pretty sure you're going to be excited about it. And uh, next time I come on, I'll kind of cover some of those things that went down, announced, all that fun stuff. Now... In regards to music news, now on the uh, EZA episode, uh, you guys probably heard me say to Jameson, hey, you know our boys, they hit number one on the rock charts and that was Skillet. They had come out with a new album, Rise. It debuted at number one in the iTunes rock charts and also on the album, uh number one for the rock charts which was pretty awesome and then last week they were just on conan o'brien which is really cool so it's really exciting when you get to see you know one of your favorite bands get all this support you know because it's really hard nowadays to sell an album let alone have it be number one on a chart and then uh you know you don't always see your favorite bands on talk show hosts on, on talk shows so it's pretty cool now in regards to the itunes charts this week I got some happiness going on, and I got some upsets going on. So, number one on the charts, we have Robin Thicke with Blurred Lines featuring T.I. and Pharrell. It's okay. It's not a bad song. The song that I can't stand, and this is number two, this is We Can't Stop by Miley Cyrus. Now, I will admit, the very first time and the only time I've heard this song, oh, I, I, I'm i going to take that back because i got a story to tell you the first time I heard this song I heard it when I watched the music video and I think because the music video disgusted me so much and you know I'm okay here's my thing I am totally okay if you want to be an artist and do an artistic music video I may not agree with it I may not like it but if you're doing it for art's sake I can respect that now if you're just doing it to be a forgive my language here but to be a slut it's not cool and I don't dig music videos like that now an example of an artistic video I could definitely point to let's say I mean Marilyn Manson he's pretty terrible with music videos they're pretty bad but some sometimes he had kind of where I was like okay I kind of get where he's going with that artistically Uh, there's a lot of bands that do really good music videos, but Miley was just all about putting these crap in her mouth, this, like, this gold, and then shaking her rear end, and just, like, ah, she was just slutting it up, man. It was really bad. I mean, it was kind of like when Britney was going through that phase where she wasn't, I don't know, man. It's really hard to say, but anyways, I heard the song, I hated it, and then... Uh now I hear it on the radio all the time and you know it's like I'm totally fine with an artist growing up and getting more mature but not when you want to you know just sell your body like that I don't know man it's just it's just kind of terrible you know it's like Britney and Christina they went through that and then they grew up and now they're kind of like they have the cool sexiness going for them they're not all like okay now I got to take off all my clothes in order to sell this music video kind of thing. So, you know, um, the song that I'm really digging, of course, because I guess I can admit it, but I love Pitch Perfect. I think that's a really fun movie. I heard all these great things about this movie, so I watched it. I loved it. And, of course, Cups by Anna Kendrick is number no, uh, number seven. It's killing on the radio. It's killing on the charts. And then Macklemore and Ray Lewis, I love this song, Can't Hold Us. It's pretty cool. They're number eight and number nine on the charts uh, for Same Love and then Can't Hold Us. I just love that song, Can't Hold Us, or, you know, Can't Hold Us, yeah, because that's the one where, unfortunately, in the R.I.P.D. trailer, they always play that song on the TV spots, and I love this song, but I'm not feeling the movie, you know? So I highly recommend that uh, you go check out Cups. Uh, That's the longer version. That's the pop version. It's, like, only a minute long in the movie get can't hold us i'm sure you have that song radioactive of course is a big fan favorite a lot of people by imagine dragons that's number five and then we have jay-z holy grail number four with justin Timberlake. so you know that's cool and then the heart of dixie i have not heard that one but stay away from we can't stop it's just a bad bad song i just ugh thumbs down for that song so uh and You know me, man. I'm a big Miley Cyrus fan, you know. She wasn't in my guilty pleasures list because, you know, I told you I I was knocking all those type of artists off of that list, but, you know, it's definitely a song and a video that I can't let my oldest girl watch because she grew up with her, you know. It's like, it's okay for the can't be tamed, like, for example, perfect example, the can't be tamed music video that she did. That was artistic. She was making a point. She looked good, she looked sexy, but she wasn't being all, you know, like she is in this video. And it was an artistic video, and it made sense, and I dug it, and that's the complete opposite what she did with this music video. So that's just my opinion, of course, and I'm sure most of you out there probably like this song, that's cool, or maybe you like the video, but... It's just one of the worst music videos I've ever seen. So that's it for movie and music news. But there is something I want to talk about that I haven't done in a while. And I want to bring back. And that's some video game news. I want to play a game.
0: want to play? Ah!
1: Resident Evil. Feel like a monster. Alright, now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just wanted to talk about two games that I recently got that I got during my vacation, which I've just had a complete and utter blast with that definitely need to be talked about. first one is The Last of Us. Now, this is a PS3 exclusive game. This was the first game that I've ever bought where I never tried out the demo. I strictly bought it off of my friend saying, you got to play this game. It's the greatest game ever, blah, 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 blah. So essentially, this is a video game of a guy and a 14-year-old girl, post-apocalyptic video game. And it's made by Naughty Dog, which is the same guys that did Uncharted series. And as you know, Uncharted is one of the greatest games on the PS3, uh, PS2. And uh, man, th- I should say yeah, PS3 because Uncharted was only on PS3. This game is so realistic. It is crazy. Now, Ellie is this 14-year-old girl. And man, she like swears like every other word. But it just, it works. The video game is just all about using your mind. You are have very limited supplies and the same tools it would take to make a health kit or a Molotov. Uh, you could essentially get to a point where you made the wrong choice in what you made and now you're dead. So it's a pretty awesome post-apocalyptic game. The thing I love the most about it is how real it is. And what I mean by that is is that you carry a book bag and you put your extra... You know how video games you carry all your tools and stuff and it just miraculously pulls out of your back pocket or whatever. This one is you you legitimately have it in a book bag and you have to take it out of your book bag and then you are armed. So I mean of course all that takes time so you got to really think things through when to do, uh, when to get guns and all that stuff. It's an amazing game. I loved it and it's the first game that I ever played three times in a row it took me 20 hours to beat it the first time around the second time around I played it with all my upgrades which was really cool not weapon upgrades like where I got unlimited ammo but it was where all the upgrades I did where I got to have extra bullets in the gun those kind of things I got to keep and I spent way much uh, way longer in that game than I did the first time so that one took me about 25-26 hours and then the third time I played an extra hard And I've only gotten through like three levels because it's extremely hard. And then the next game I got was the brand new Tomb Raider. This is the reboot of Laura Croft. Now here's the thing. I've always loved the character of Laura Croft. But I've always hated the games. The games were always just either too hard or boring or whatever. This one is a reboot. Uh, Obviously it's rated M. It's the first uh, Tomb Raider game to be rated M. And the violence is ridiculous in this game. It's crazy. It's super fun. It's total Laura Croft being a complete badass warrior. Last night, I got uh, fire arrows. So I get to, I mean, you can take an arrow and literally shoot it through a guy's head. I mean, that's how crazy this game is. It's super violent, but it's super fun. Just like The Last of Us uh and what i meant by realistic with the last of us is is that for example when you shoot somebody let's say they're against a wall i mean you could shoot somebody and let's say the head and like their body would slowly like fall down i mean stuff i had never seen in video games before just really realistic of like you get shot and you're like dead i mean it's just like it's really amazing so tomb raider is super fun uh finally i found a great tomb raider game that i dug so I picked that up for 29 bucks on eBay the other day. So I highly recommend, if you have a PS3, get The Last of Us. It's as, it's as awesome as everybody says it is. Um, I definitely would, I mean, it's the best game that I've played in 2013, hands down. Um, greatest game ever. No, it doesn't uh, overtake my Batman Arkham City, but it's pretty high up there in regards to all-time best games I've ever played. And Tomb Raider is super fun. So go check out those two games. And Tomb Raider is on uh, the Xbox as well. It's not a PS3 exclusive. So that is it for video game news. Check it out. And let's roll into the review of The Lost Boys. Oh, mellow. No. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait.
0: That's from my ear. Grooving on a Sunday afternoon. Okay. <laughs> hey, we're almost there. It smells like someone died. Oh, honey, look, guys, I know the last year hasn't been easy, but I think you're really gonna like living in Santa Carla. Wait a second, let me get this straight. Are you telling me that we moved to the murder capital of the world? Are you serious, Grandpa? If all the corpses buried around here was to stand up all at once, we'd have one hell of a population. <laughs> Amazing. Star. I'm Michael. So we were going to town. Uh, that's as close to town as I'd like to get. Where the hell are you from? Phoenix, actually. But lucky me, we move here. I can't beat your bike. You don't have to beat me, Michael. You just have to try and keep up. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No, it's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian or a vampire, drink some of this, Michael. Bravo! What's happening, to me, Star? The creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. you never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. But you must feed.
1: Alright guys, let's talk The Lost Boys. Now, uh, The Lost Boys is a super fun movie for me. I would probably say that this movie is the vampire movie that I've seen the most of. Now, the question is going to come up in this episode of is The Lost Boys the best vampire movie there is? Uh, When we get there, we'll get there. Uh, But this, I believe, is the first Corey Haim movie. Corey feldman movie that i'm going to be talking about uh we'll also touch base in regards to um is this the best Corey's movie and all this and that now this movie is uh from a director who i am not uh a stranger to and that's joel schumacher as you know the guy that destroyed the batman franchise uh he totally kicks rear end in this movie now this movie came out in 87 and we have uh jason patrick and we have Corey Haim. Corey Feldman, Keither Sutherland, and we have Alex Winter, which is in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. So I guess you could say, or Bill and Ted, and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. He's Bill, so I guess you could say this is the Bill and Ted trilogy, if you will. But he's barely in this movie. And uh, this movie is essentially about um, two Arizona brothers who move to California, and they end up fighting this gang of teenage vampires. And uh, it has two sequels, two movies that I've never seen because I've heard terrible and horrible things about. So I'm going to keep the, uh, you know, my memories intact with this movie and I'm not going to have it diminished by the sequels in any way, shape, or form. Alright, so essentially, uh, to kind of give you guys a little rundown, if it's been a while since you've seen this movie, uh, as I said... This movie came out in 87, had a budget of 8.5 million bucks, made $32 million, so it's pretty successful, of course. Now, in this movie, we have uh, Jason Patrick, who is, uh, the other movie that I remember this guy from uh, is Speed 2, which uh, I like more than most people. It's definitely not as awesome as the first movie, but this was kind of like I saw him, this was my first time ever seeing Jason Patrick, and then I saw him again in speed 2 now his character's name is michael emerson uh michael if you will throughout the movie no mike just michael his younger brother his younger brother is uh Corey Haim, and his character's name is sam now uh their mom is uh played by diane west her name is lucy now here's the thing with diane west uh which i guess we'll talk about Uh, In a little bit when we get there. Let's just kind of get through the story. So uh, Lucy, their mom, she's recently divorced. And they move to this beach uh, in Santa Carla, California. Uh, They move in with Lucy's dad. And uh, he's absolutely hilarious. He's this eccentric old man. Uh, He lives on kind of the outskirts of town. Uh, He enjoys taxidermy as a hobby. And uh, Michael and Sam... They start to hang out on the boardwalk, and it's plastered with, like, these flyers of missing people. And uh, Lucy gets a job at this local video store, which is run by this guy named Max. Uh, Now, Michael becomes fascinated when he meets this girl named Star, played by the beautiful Jamie Gertz, which we'll talk about in a little bit. She's this, uh, you know, gorgeous young woman uh, he spots on the boardwalk. And, uh, you know, she's in a relationship with this guy named David, who's played by Keith Sutherland, which I can't wait to talk about this guy here. But uh, this guy is, uh, you know, he's basically a leader of the local gang. And we have uh, this comic book store where Sam goes and he meets these two guys named Edgar and Alan Frog, which is played by Corey Feldman and uh, Jameson Newlander. Finally, somebody with the name Jameson, right? That's kind of funny. Uh, they're essentially these, uh, uh, I guess, self-proclaimed vampire hunters, if you will. You know, they warn Sam that Santa Carla is under the attack of vampires. And they give him horror comics to teach him how to deal with it. And of course, Sam thinks they're completely off the rocker. So, Michael, uh, he finally talks to Star. And he gets approached by David. And uh, Michael... He essentially follows these guys on a motorcycle down this beach uh, until they get to this dangerous cliff where Michael almost goes over it. So of course, you know he gets pissed off. He goes after, uh, you know, David, but you know he's just like, "You want to be one of us, you know." At which, when we get there, we'll talk about it. But this is kind of my problem with the movie: this whole situation of why Michael does what he does. But to go along with the story. Um, when we get to the headquarters it's this uh like luxury hotel beneath the cliff and michael uh, you know he gets initiated into the group uh, he drinks this bottle of wine which of course star warns michael not to drink it's blood but of course michael ignores her advice because there was all these tricks pulled on him earlier uh, with uh, worms and everything like that so michael next day develops the taste of course for blood and uh, he, unfortunately, uh, impulsively attacks Sam, and uh, Sam's dog, which is really awesome, cool-looking wolf dog, retaliates and uh, pushes Michael away from Sam while Sam's trying to take a bath. So, essentially, after this, uh, this goes down, uh, Michael retreats to his room. He, can, he begins to start getting these supernatural powers and realizes he's turned into a vampire, and he asks Sam for help. So Sam discovers that since Michael has not killed anyone, he's essentially a quote-unquote half-vampire. And uh, his condition can get reversed if they kill the head vampire, which is pretty cool lore. You know, I, I kind of like the logic of the vampirism in this film. So the next day, Sam and, you know, the Frog Brothers, they they think that Max is the head vampire. So they test this theory. You know, because he's coming over, he's got a day with Lucy, and Max appears to pass every single test that they throw at him. So, uh, in an attempt to force, uh, you know, Michael into killing, David takes uh, Michael to this bonfire where they show the first time them being vampires with their face and everything, and they start killing all these guys. But Michael doesn't do it; he's horrified by the sight. So uh, he goes home. He escapes. Yeah, tells Sam what's going on. Star arrives and basically reveals herself to be a half-vampire as well, which we kind of already knew. It wasn't really a big secret. And it emerges that David had intended for Michael to be Star's first kill. But, you know, due to the fact that she really dug Michael, she couldn't do it. So, therefore, you know, she remained a half-vampire and he's a half-vampire. So, the next day, Michael... Uh, he's weakened he leads Sam and the frog brothers to the gang's lair. Uh, they're thinking that you know David is the king vampire so they're gonna go kill him and kill the rest of the guys in their little cave and uh, what happens is they they stake one of the vampires wakens David and the other guys they get out and they're just like you know you're dead meat we're gonna kill you later on tonight. So, of course, they manage to get everybody out of the house. Lucy goes on a date with Max and her grandfather gets out of the house. So the teens have the house themselves waiting for the attack to come. So David comes back, of course, with his gang and uh, we have a big fight. It's a pretty cool, awesome showdown with each and every single one of the vampires. And Michael and David go head to head and uh they get into a fight michael kills david and michael and star unfortunately don't return back to their normal self so they know that there's got to be a head vampire out there which of course lucy and max return home and then you figure out obviously max has been the head vampire all along because once you invite a vampire into your house essentially the house rules if you will are powerless you know where uh you could do the garlic on them you know they have no reflection etc etc now max reveals that essentially his objective was to get lucy to be uh, the mother of his boys and you know if he got sam and michael in she would have no choice but to do it but uh max does get killed when grandpa crashes through the house uh, he impales Max with the wooden fence post and uh Michael starr uh, They all return back to normal and then grandpa uh casually. ...comes in and just declares, you know, the one thing about living in Santa Carla I can never stomach... ...all the damn vampires, revealing that he knew that there was vampires there all along. And we're going to talk about this guy in a little bit, but that's essentially uh, the basic story that we have going on in this film. So let's talk about the details, stuff that I really dig uh, about this flick. Alright, before I get even into the big details of this film, I got to say that the music in this movie is outstanding... It is just pure, like, 80s, man. This song uh, that starts off the movie, uh, Cry a Little Sister, just has this really eerie, awesome vibe. There's something about little kids singing a song. You know, kind of like in uh, the song that I really dig, P.O.D.'s Youth of the Nation. At the end, when they're singing Youth of the Nation, it's really awesome. One of the reasons why Rise is my favorite Skillet song is because... Uh, Of that the kids singing revolution at the end. There's just something I dig with little kids singing in a song. It's just really cool and this one's kind of creepy because they're all like thou shall not kind of like given 10 commandments if you will in a song. But it's just done in such a real eerie and creepy way. It fits 100% perfect for this film. I really dig this song cry a little sister and that's how it starts off the movie and you see a Richard Donner production which is pretty cool and then you Get introduced to our first, you know, the first time we see the Lost Boys. We see Keither Sutherland. Now, here's the thing with Keither Sutherland that I got to talk about. There's definitely nothing bad I can say about this guy. Like the song, you know, Cry Little Sister. He just has this real creepy vibe I've never been able to put my finger on. It could be because the first movie I ever saw with Keither Sutherland in it was Flatliners. And that movie is just beyond creepy and freaky. And then, of course, I believe this was my second time I saw him was when I watched The Lost Boys. And ever since then, it's just, I really dig him. But I always get a creepy vibe every time I watch him. I don't know what it is. It's not a bad creepy vibe. It's just like there's something mysterious about him that I could just never put my finger on. Now, for the whole movie, he does really good. He has one set of scenes that I totally hate, which we'll talk about when we get there. But overall... He's a good leader. Uh, He definitely helps make this movie what it is. I really dig him. He's a great choice. And uh, he was just, you know, I mean, when I think of badass vampires, I think of Keither Sutherland. That's basically what I think of. And then we uh, get introduced to uh, Jason Patrick, which is Michael. And as I said, Jason Patrick, you know, I know this guy from, uh, you know, I saw him in Lost Boys and then I saw him in Speed 2. So then I was like, okay, what other movies have I seen this guy in before that I just can't put my finger on? And then it came to me, there's this movie called Sleepers. And this is one of those movies that I believe Brad Pitt is in this film. It's one of those movies that I really, really like and enjoy but I'll never watch again just because it was kind of such a downer movie. But I really dug his performance as Michael in this film uh we'll talk about the one issue I have with this character when we get there in a little bit. And then of course we have Corey Haim. Now, here's the thing with the Coreys. Um everybody's like, okay, who's your favorite Corey? You know, what's your favorite Corey movie? So on and so forth. Well, to answer that question, it's hands-down license to drive. That is my favorite. I love that movie. Uh, that's what made me watch this movie. I had no intention to ever watch The Lost Boys. It wasn't one of those movies that I was just like, oh, okay, I definitely want to check out because vampires, they were cool, but they weren't really my thing. It was because of Silver Bullet why I... Wanted to watch this because I watched Silver Bullet. I fell in love with it. That's still to this day my favorite Corey Hay movie. And for sure, 100%, I am doing Silver Bullet this year. I don't even care if I don't do it during October. I'm doing that movie because I just watched it the other day, and I'm just like, man, I got to do this movie. And I watched Silver Bullet, fell in love with it, and it made me watch uh, License to Drive. I love License to Drive. It's my favorite. I think it's their best performance together. Uh, individually, just overall, it's fantastic. Now, Corey Feldman, I believe, is the better actor. I mean, he's had a lot of movie roles. I mean, Goonies and Stand By Me. and I mean, there's no doubt about it. Corey Feldman is probably the more talented actor of the two. I like Corey Haim more because I think I related more to him. I was more like him. I, I think his movies have more of an impact on me. Uh especially since Silver Bullet and I really love License to Drive because I'm so like him versus Corey Feldman's character. So I dig the Corey's. Um they're they they kind of went down the drain. There's this one movie they did called Blown Away with uh man one of the girls from Baywatch, and it's just a terrible sex movie. Oh, man, it was so bad. Don't ever watch it. Uh, Nicole Eggart, that's who it was. Uh, She was dating Corey Haim at the time. Oh, man, that's kind of where their career went down the toilet. So avoid that movie like the plague. And then, of course, Dream a Little Dream is super fun times. Kind of a sad movie here and there. Uh, Kind of a cool Uh, weird movie in a way so I definitely would love to revisit that movie at some time but Corey Haim is my favorite of the Corey's but I recognize Corey Feldman is the better actor and he made better movie choices uh, I would say but you know that's kind of that's kind of my thing with these two and a lot of people say that he can't act he's terrible you know but It's fine for me. I have no issues with Corey Haim. I think he's funny. I dig him. He's not the greatest actor in the world. I mean, obviously, he's no longer with us. And I was very heartbroken when that news was announced. And, you know, I really watched this guy. You know, I watched all the behind the scenes special. And I was just really hoping that. You know his life was gonna turn around and he was gonna be able to fight the demons of the drugs and everything, but it just took the best of a man, unfortunately. But uh, he's definitely gonna be missed. He was one of my favorite, just overall actors. I just I really loved everything that he was in, uh, for the most part, obviously outside of uh, Blown Away. So, anyways, uh, him as Sam, super good times in this film, and then we have the mom, which I was talking about earlier, which is Diane West. Now, Diane West works in this movie i do not like her in parenthood i hate that movie um it's oh, she's just so bad and so annoying in that film but for this movie she works she's got the right amount of comedy she's got the right amount of you know motherly love she's got the right amount of putting her foot down i really dig her in this film and it kind of erases my memory of watching her in parenthood. And then uh, one of the things I really dig is the song People Are Strangers. Man, that song is awesome. They play that when you know they're coming in and they're seeing all the people. Uh, it's kind of a montage of all the different people in the town. And you've seen all the missing children posters everywhere. And then they played it at the very end of the movie. I really dig this song. It's got a really cool vibe to it I don't know what it is about this song but I just totally love it it's awesome so if you want to get a hold of that song uh Echo and the Bunny Men is the name of the group and the name of the song is People Are Strange it's essentially a cover version of The Doors but the guys that do this song are Echo and Bunny Men, and I just like the way that they do this version it's just so cool it's just got a it's like a slightly different musical arrangement which makes it in my opinion I like it better and the doors version so it's good times i really really love this song all right so let's talk about the real star of this film and that's grandpa man this guy is so funny he's so good uh bernard hughes is the guy that plays this uh character he has the he has the best one-liners he kind of plays like an almost like a senile or or maybe a crazy grandpa but deep down you Especially if you watch it the second time around when you know that he knows what's going on, you really catch everything in the background. You know, his little comments of, you know, why are you reading a TV guide when you don't have a TV? He goes, You read the TV guide? You don't need a TV, you know? And uh, when Michael comes home from just being with uh, Star and he's like, Oh, it looks like one of us got lucky last night. Just little comments like that. He's just so good, so funny. And I really dig this guy. He steals the movie for me. He's my favorite character in this whole film. He's just, he's amazing. I love this guy. He's good times. Now, uh, for a movie that came out in 1987, as you know, a lot of these movies that I talk about, we kind of talk of they uh, still work today, nostalgia factor, all this and that. Now, it's totally fine if you have cheese fest in your film. I mean, there's a lot of films that I totally dig. Uh, like Howard the Duck is this amazing. Cheese factor—it's a cult status movie. But there's one scene in particular that I cannot stand in this movie, and it's not the song; it's the guy singing it. When you get to uh, the first time you're meeting Star, you have this guy on stage singing the song "I Still Believe." Great song, but this guy is like this bodybuilder with all this lotion all over, and he's like way over the top trying to sing and throw his fist up in the air and he's playing the saxophone this guy is one of the worst things I've ever seen in regards to Cheese Factor. I would rather take Tara Reed Sharknado over this guy. This guy sucks man. I, oh. Every time this scene comes on I close my eyes so I don't have to see this guy going on stage saying I still believe and oh terrible I can't explain with words how much I hate this part of the movie I cannot stand this guy oh it's so bad but the song itself amazing I love it it's good time so with my eyes closed I move forward I dig the song and then this guy's like like Millie Vanilli, you know, CNC Music Factor. You know how you had the amazing singer, and then you had somebody that was overdubbing. Clearly, this guy is not the singer of the song. You can clearly tell that. But this guy is the worst showman I've ever seen in my life. So moving on, let's stop talking about this guy here. Alright, so let's talk about Jamie Gertz, uh, whose character is star. Now, this girl is gorgeous. Um, I think the movie that I really uh, loved her in was this movie called crossroads now this movie may sound familiar uh, the reason why i dig this film is because of ralph macho which is the reason why i watched it now ralph macho made this movie to kind of get away from the uh, karate kid image it's essentially about this kid who wants to learn the blues and essentially starts to deal with uh, selling his soul to the devil and uh, jamie gertz is in this movie it's definitely a movie that I'm going to be reviewing at one point or another because it's probably my second favorite Ralph Macchio film uh, would be Crossroads. This movie is just its fantastic. It's such a good movie. And the guitar, the ending of the film, the, the showdown of this quote-unquote battle for the souls is amazing, man. The stuff that Ralph Macchio does uh, is great. There's a lot of uh, urban legends, whether it's really him doing it or not doing it. We can talk about that when we get there, but you'll probably know her, uh, you know, I guess the most famous role would be Twister. She plays Bill Paxton's girlfriend in that film. She's the sexual psychologist. Uh, She was also in Sixteen Candles. She's in Less Than Zero. Uh, She was in uh, CBS comedy, Still Standing. So uh, she's pretty famous. She's good. She was born in Chicago. She's good times. I really dig her. She's beautiful. She still looks good. She's 47 years old, man. She still looks gorgeous. This girl has aged very well. I dig her in this film. And uh, I could totally see why Michael went crazy for this girl the first time he saw her. Now uh, let's talk about uh, the the one part of this movie that I just don't like. And that is the whole Michael versus David situation. Now, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but here's the one thing that I just... I, ha- I have to go along with to get to the story. I like what they do with Michael once he becomes a vampire and everything. It's what it takes to get to that point is what I don't like. And here's the thing. Okay, so Michael is infatuated with Star, right? But, you know, Michael... You know, from the beginning, they have the relationship of uh, you know him and Sam. You could see that they're close brothers, and Michael just seems like a guy who has his head on his shoulders. He doesn't seem like somebody that could just be easily pushed over. So the moment that you know we have the bike uh, scene, which is cool, I dig it because it's kind of like David is telling Star to get on his bike, and Mike's kind of sticking up for it, like you know we kind of had a thing here. He wants to follow, but. You know, he gets upset when he almost goes over the cliff. And it's like David has this manipulative uh, pull on him. Now, I know he's a vampire and I know he's supposed to have that sort of energy, but they just don't explain it well. It just seems that Michael is just so suckered into this whole following David and his crew. I don't know if it's because he feels lonely. He doesn't have a father figure or he just wants to be one of the guys. They don't explain it well enough for me to accept it. I dig everything that happens in regards to where he's there and he's getting the mind tricks and drinks the blood. I'm cool with all that. It's just the motivation behind him wanting to be with the guys. I don't get. I never have. So, that's my only quirk or issue that I have with the story. You know, maybe just like a throwaway line from like Star saying, Hey, can you please come with me? You know, I really don't want, you know, let me explain everything. Or maybe David is challenging Michael, like, You want her, come and get her. Just a throwaway line, something that gives me more of a better explanation between Michael's motivation to just all of a sudden. He wants to be part of the guys, you know, so that's the thing. And maybe it has to do with the whole vampire pool, whatever, but it's not explained. That's my only issue I have with the story. Everything else in the story, I dig. I like all the different takes on everything, but that's my one issue that I have. So let's move back uh, to the uh, other characters that get introduced. So we have Max Which is a video store owner. I like this. VHS tapes. How weird is it to see those nowadays? Crazy. Video stores. I mean what are those things? Those things don't even exist anymore. But Max uh, did really good. The guy that plays Max. He was very believable. As uh, Where they paint a picture on him. Like yeah he's the head vampire. They do the scene where they uh, get disproved. And then you're just like your mind gets taken off. Oh well he can't be the head vampire Does it really well. Especially when you know he's the head vampire. And you rewatch it again. And you just see his facial expressions on various scenes. It works. It works really well the way he does everything. And then of course we get uh, our good old boys. The Frog Brothers. So we have Corey Feldman. Which has this real crazy ridiculous voice that he does. uh, Which I kind of dig. He's funny. His brother doesn't say too much in this movie. And you know. It is what it is. I mean, obviously, this guy didn't go on to do a whole lot. The other brother in this film is uh, Ed is Alan. Um, so we have Edgar Frog, which is Corey Feldman. Alan Frog is Jameson Newlander. Now, this guy, uh, of course, he is in the Lost Boy movies, but he really only did The Blob, and then he did uh, like 20 years later, goes back and does. The Lost Boys and then his scenes got deleted I guess in Lost Boys the Tribe. But he's back in Lost Boys the Thirst. So obviously this guy never really went on to do anything. So, But he does have a real funny line which we'll talk about when we get there. Now one of my favorite scenes is uh, when you first get introduced to the Frog Brothers. And you have Sam come in and school them on how they should do their comic books about Looking for a Batman comic book and he schools them on all these Superman issues and the storylines and really funny stuff. And one of the things I really love that the Frog Brothers do in this film is they're all about killing, you know, especially about his brother. You know, it's like, oh, well you need to kill the head vampire and if you can't find him kill your brother or we'll come over and we'll kill your brother for you just they're all about killing and they make it seem like they're all these big and bad and uh... very experienced killers and then you find out they are just like the monster squad they've never killed anything a day in their life you know i really dig the frog brothers themselves they're really funny and of course they don't have a whole lot of scenes in the film but they really work but i love this comic book store scene Because just Sam schools these guys on how the comic books are supposed to work. I love that scene. And then uh, with the grandpa, you know, when he pulls out his car and he's like, you want to go to town? And he starts it up and he's like, all right, let's go to town. And then he shuts it off and you hear Sam say, I thought we were going to town. He goes, oh, that's as far as I go. And he just starts crapping on his grandfather. And uh, it's just so funny. But, you know, uh, one of the things I love with the Frog Brothers is about, you know, pray that you'll never need to call us and when you have Sam just say I'm gonna pray that I never have to call you you know because he's like you guys are ridiculous you know and that's just the comedy in this movie works because there's a lot of good uh, scary scenes but, you know, in a, in a good horror movie, you need really good comedy because they both play off so well. And it's really, really hard to find a really good horror movie that has real funny elements in it. And that's one of the big reasons why this movie has such mass appeal and why it's lasted so long is because this movie, as good as the vampire stuff is, the comedy is just as good and is still funny today. Now, uh, going back to, you know, the ride I was telling you about with uh, Michael, you know, following David and they're on the beach and I really like the darkness and uh, just the way it looks. There's a song that's played, which is uh, Lost in the Shadows. It sounds like Richard Marks, but if like Richard Marks was like totally rock and roll and killing it on the guitar. This guy's voice is really awesome. I'm not sure the name of this song. Unfortunately, I don't have the soundtrack. I wish I did because the soundtrack is awesome. I think the name of the song, though, is Lost in the Shadows. But it's the beach scene, and it's right before Michael goes off the cliff. It's a great song. I really dig this song, and this whole CD is just so, so good. Now I told you earlier that there's one uh, scene in particular with Keith Sutherland where uh, I thought it was bad. It's where he tells Michael, "How far are you willing to go?" And that's obviously right before we get to you know where he's going to have Michael drink the blood. It's you know after he gets punched in the face and he just smiles and he goes, "How far are you willing to go?" He says it was such cheese factor that I just roll my eyes at. Uh, you know, you could say it's the maggots. How are the maggots, Michael? You're eating maggots. You know, just the way he says it. But I dig it. It's cool. He He's good times in every scene. It's just the way he says, uh, how far are you willing to go? It's like he really tried to overact in that scene. It was the only bad scene I have with or Sutherland. Everything else, he's 100% solid and I totally dig him in. And uh, like I said, I love the mind tricks. Those are awesome with the maggots and the worms good times and it makes perfect sense why he would drink the blood because he's already been tricked so of course he just thinks it's wine now uh you know the next day when we go back to sam's room and he's reading the comic books i'm a little bit confused on the room okay so there's a there's a poster of rob Lowe, and then there's a poster of molly ringwald i get the molly ringwald one but i don't get the rob Lowe one so i mean maybe it's just a teenage thing i mean when i had a picture or a poster up of david hasselhoff He was with Kit. So, you know, Knight Rider is my favorite show and it made perfect sense because, number one, the poster was autographed by David Hasselhoff, but two, he's standing next to Kit, so it works. But I just don't get the Rob Lowe thing. It just was kind of weird and I was just like, I don't get the motivation, but, you know, I'm... I don't know. I guess it's just an 80s thing, I guess, where guys could just have a guy posters and girl posters and it just didn't matter. And maybe he just I don't know. I just didn't get it. So. All right. Now, before I go any further with this review, I just want to let you know, I have lost everything up to this point. I had just finished reviewing the film and then my program crapped out. And it was all gone, and now I have to say everything all over again. It's just so annoying. So, uh, I just wanted to give you guys that heads up that if I, you hear any anger in my voice, that's the reason why. It's because I'm so frustrated right now. So, uh, but again, uh, in regards to the Rob Lowe thing, you know, it is what it is. You know, it doesn't really hurt anything for me. Now, uh, what I really dig is when uh, you know Michael becomes a vampire. And uh, I really love the whole thing between him and Sam. You know in the beginning of the movie we had the relationship was just like these two are really close. And then during this scene we get them kind of being uh, a little bit torn apart. And then you know immediately... Like 10 minutes later, they're getting back together and just like, you know, you're a vampire, but you're my brother and I love you. This whole thing where Sam's in the bathtub and he's got his dog and, uh, you know, Michael's coming in and he wants to attack and the dog protects him. I love when Sam comes down. He's like, what'd you do to my dog, you a-hole? You know, it's just real funny and he's calling his mom on the phone about how Michael's trying to kill him and you just hear all this screaming and I just love This whole entire sequence. It's really funny. And then, of course, the mom comes home and he's like, Oh, mom, it was just, you know, a scary comic book because, you know, they both agreed they're going to figure it out together. And uh it must have been some scary comic book. She's mad because her date with Max is ruined. But overall, it's just really fun. You know, you have Sam just saying, You're a vampire? Well, wait till mom finds out. You know, I, I just really love these two. They're super fun together. And then what I really dig is, uh, you know, the scene with Max... Uh, It's definitely the best scene of the film when Max comes over because it's done in such a cool different way where I mean obviously you should know when he says the line you know you're the man of the house. You know, I'm not coming in until you give me permission. You know, it should kind of tell you right there he's a vampire. But he does it in such a smooth, cool way that it really kind of throws you off. And uh, it's just so fun watching this scene. It's definitely uh, the best scene of the film. Uh, This whole trying to get him to eat garlic and holy water. It's just really fun. The Frog Brothers are just really hilarious in this. And just overall, it's just a really fun scene And Max is just really good, especially when you watch it again, knowing that Max is the head vampire. And you really see, uh, I don't know if I've said this before, forgive me, but his different facial expressions and just the things that you'll notice the second time around knowing what you know now. It's pretty cool going back in these scenes how just uh, how smooth and calculating of a vampire this guy really is. Now uh, when we get this scene where. Uh, one of the scenes I really love. Is where Sam and Michael. Uh, they're in the kitchen and they see all the lights. It's really loud and stuff. And Sam's telling Michael not to open the door. And he does and it just disappears. I've always liked that effect. It was kind of mysterious and just really cool. But I really love the reveal of uh, the guys. When David and the guys take Michael to go Uh, kill those guys on the beach I love the music you know we're getting some Aerosmith run DMC walk this way somehow this song just really fits with the mood and just what's going on and when you get the reveal of how their face looks I just think it looks very well done it's probably my favorite vampire look of all the vampire movies I've seen Uh, maybe I'm not 100% sure on that I just really dig the first reveal how it looks it's really solid it's really good and it's just uh, a, really, a really well done makeup job that they did on these guys. Now, I love this scene where Michael and Sam are talking and where Michael says, It's okay, Sam. I know who I am now. It's like Sam already knew that you were a vampire, man. Don't be pretending like he didn't know. And that's when Star's outside and Star shows up at the window and he freaks out and hides under the covers. And it's pretty cool. These two have tension. But you also see why they dug each other from kind of like the first moment they met quote-unquote love at first sight and uh it's pretty good stuff man which leads into uh one of my one of my favorite scenes where they go the frog brothers michael and sam and uh they're gonna go stake david that's the plan and i love the line where uh it's edgar who goes first come first stake and he's like, "Did you just make that up?" And he goes, "Of course." And then they stab uh, one of the vampires. And I love when uh, David wakes up. He goes, "You're dead meat." You know, this is kind of a really cool, intense scene. You know, it's got a lot of suspense to it. Them trying to get away, and and David grabbing Sam's leg, and just kind of burning up. And then he's—you could just tell that, oh boy, we're screwed. You know, this is like the moment in *Silver Bullet* when they know that the werewolf's going to come after them tonight and they got to do whatever it takes to get the house to themselves and then we get you know my favorite scene of the film and that's like the little montage of them getting all their weapons not weapons together but putting all the uh, garlic in the tub and everything now granted it's not like the monster squad uh montage where you get the rock until you drop and it's just got a great song here we just have a score but it's a really fun scene And the whole entire scene is excellent. It's definitely this scene that when I think of Lost Boys, I think of this scene of a bunch of kids going up against vampires and trying to take them down. This is what I think of. This is what has always been my first, uh, you know, feelings and thoughts. And just really reminds me of Monster Squad and probably why I love this movie so much. Now, backing up just a little bit, I love when, you know, they get out and the. Frog Brothers just like, we're not going to ride with no vampires. And Michael's just like, fine, just stay here. We'll leave you. And he's like, there's a first for everything. They get in. And I love when Edgar's like, burn rubber. And you have, it felt like License to Drive. Corey Hames driving backwards. And he starts yelling at him. And it just, it's like the good old days of watching License to Drive and just seeing those two just going at each other. Uh, good times. I love it. And I love the line from Grandpa. It's probably my favorite line where, you know, they come in the house. And Grandpa's like, you know the rules about putting gas inside the car when you come back? Yes, Grandpa. Or they say, no, Grandpa. He goes, well, now you do. And he just walks off. You know, so funny. Now, there is one thing during this, uh, you know, my favorite part of the film that I have a question on that I've just never been able to figure out. So it's where the Frog Brothers are taking on the vampire and they throw him in the tub. Well, actually, the dog comes to the rescue, knocks him uh, into the tub. I, I love the effect of like the vampire being stripped down to his bones, but why do the pipes explode? I never got that. It was the only moment in the film that, I mean, granted, this is a vampire film, but I felt it was a little over the top or unrealistic almost, where I kind of felt like that was just to, for special effects. You know, it's like, what's the logic behind him going in the bathtub and. Uh, just having the pipes explode. I mean, it looks cool and it's cool seeing all the blood and guts all over the Frog Brothers, but I just don't get it. So if anybody has the answer to why the pipes explode, please let me know because I'm really curious and I've always wanted to know the answer to this question. Okay, so let's get to the cheese factor uh, moment of Corey Haim you know we had the Keith Sutherland one how far are you willing to go Michael you know oh that one but this one is really bad this is the one that I can't forgive because even the keith Sutherland one is forgivable and almost cool but it's the one where he shoots the arrow at the vampire and he goes through the stereo death by stereo oh it's so bad it feels like This wasn't in the script that this was ad-lib. And, you know, and I totally dig anything with Corey Haim. You know, he... Uh, forgive me if I've said this before, I can't remember, but he has that famous laugh of his that he does, which he does in License to Drive a whole lot. He does just a little bit in this one, which he does at that moment. But it just felt like really bad ad-libbing. And I just, I don't know what it is. I just never went along with it. I'm just like, oh, cheese factor, you know. But it does get immediately redeemed, though, by my favorite line from Alan Frog. Uh, this one is great. This is the one where uh, we have the little kid, uh, Laddie, which is the kid that's attached to the star where he kind of vamps out and kind of goes after him. And he has like – I think this is my favorite line in the film where he goes, it's the attack of Eddie effing and Munster. And I don't know, just the way he says it and the way he looks – It's just hilarious and it's a good time. Alright, now I do want to talk about the one scene that doesn't look good. Now, for the most part in this movie, uh, it's held up very, very well. Especially in 2013, it's just it looks really good. But this one scene in particular, it's the one where David and Michael are fighting up in the air. When you first get the up in the air look, it looks bad. It could be because of the fact of... uh, the color is so red but by today's standards it's really dated now when they're actually up in the air showing their faces and fighting looks good it's just the kind of the takeoff and and capturing themselves in the air it just looks really bad the screen that they're using but it's really the only scene that doesn't hold up by today's standards other than that everything else has been Really 100% solid throughout this film. I really enjoy how everything looks. Uh, That's just really the only bad one. But it's forgivable though because you're so far into this film. And it's not really that big of a deal. And then we get to uh, the scene that is just really good. And that's of course the reveal of Max uh, showing up. And one of the things I never really heard before is when uh, Max is going to investigate all the kids and you have all the arguing going on. I love when Corey Feldman is saying, I'm the frog in charge. And I had never heard that line before, but it was so funny hearing it yesterday when I you know, watched this movie again. I was just cracking up. It was so much fun. Now, I love the logic here. You know, when Max explains that silly boy, by inviting a vampire in, it takes everything away. You know, and I just love how, uh, you know, you have Sam look over at Edgar and say, Did you know that? And he just looks at him like, Of course I knew that. You know, he just looks at him like you're all stupid and stuff. But clearly he obviously didn't know. But this is really good, man. It's it's a good showdown. It's funny. And then when Grandpa comes in and saves the day and has a great line of one thing Living in Santa, Santa Carla, I never could stomach was all the damn vampires and just seeing the fridge close and everybody just staring like, oh my gosh, she knew the whole time. It's just a perfect way to end this film. And then of course, you know, my song comes on, people are strange, starts up again. It's just a really, really good time. And, uh, overall, man, uh, you know, in regards to, is this the best vampire film? Well, here's the deal. Is this the best vampire film? Probably not. Is it the most funnest vampire film I've ever seen? 100%. This, to me, is like The Monster Squad. The Monster Squad is in no way, shape, or form the best monster movie there is. But, man, it's definitely the most fun. You know, as a kid, I love that movie. And as an adult, I probably love it even more as I did as a kid. Because it's just so much fun. It's got a lot of good uh, myths and lores in that film. And just like The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys has some interesting vampire views in regards to, you know, inviting them in, uh, changes the status quo, and uh, the way they look is really good. And just uh, the overall look of this film, I dig the story. Um, You know, outside that one issue I have with the motivation with Mike, it just, you know, it still looks good. It's still fun. You know, in fact, this is a pretty clean vampire film i mean number one uh yeah there's violence in here but you got no nudity i mean what nowadays you have torture porn you know they're all about you got to see all the boobies and stuff but this one has no nudity it's probably one of the biggest reasons why this is the vampire movie that's shown on tv i mean i was on vacation this movie came on three times in one week on regular TV, because there's not a lot of swearing in it, and the violence pretty much can be, t- you know, uh, edited out, if you will, and that's why it's held the test of time because it's just an overall fun movie, and uh, I totally, uh, you know, that's why I never want to watch part two and three because to me, I feel like I will totally kind of take away from the the greatness of this movie in my mind, you know, and I've heard enough about two and three to never want to step foot in that territory. So, uh, overall rating on the film, I would definitely give this one a solid four. It's, uh, still holds up in 2013. It's still a lot of fun. It's got some great comedy. It's got some good, great suspense, uh, really good makeup effects. Uh, there's a lot of cheese factor though, that I've pointed out. Uh, But overall, it's definitely an 80s film. And watching this movie really makes me want to go watch License to Drive and just see my favorite, you know, Corey and Corey film, It's Good Times. So uh, that is it, guys, for the review of The Lost Boys. So why don't we go ahead and hear what the STL Nation has to say. All right, so our first email comes from uh, John the Music Man, and here's what he had to say. Hello, STL, Lost Boys is such a great 80s movie, and this movie started the cool vampire movies before a certain movie franchise made them all sparkly. As well, this is the first time I saw Corey together, which made me a fan of all the buddy movies. So maybe another series could be the Corey series. Laugh out loud. John from Philly, a.k.a. John the Music Man. Well, thank you, sir, for writing in. Uh, I know you're excited, sir, for next week for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I believe that's your favorite movie, if I remember correctly. But, man, I am all for doing some more Corey and Corey films. I'm definitely going to do some License to Drive. Maybe Dream a Little Dream. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of that movie like I am License to Drive, but for sure... We will definitely do License to Drive. So that is what he had to say. So thank you, sir, so much for writing in. Uh, the next email comes from Cheerful Charlie. Here's what he had to say. Hey, Sweep the Lake Nation, just got issued a challenge by uh, John the Music Man that I needed to prove why Lost Boys is awesome. Number one, it's about vampires. Number two, it's got Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, a.k.a. The Corys. Number three, it was directed by Joel Schumacher. Number four, it made $33 million at the box office. It was executive produced by Richard Dick Donner, who directed Superman the movie. Number six, Alex Winters is in it, who is also in uh, Bill and Ted, my all-time favorite movie. So it looks like John the Music Man and and Charlie have something in common there. Uh, Y'all gotta love the tagline in the movie. Sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. Uh, I I love The Lost Boys, the only vampire movie that also dealt with teenagers. Uh, What do you say, Masunas? Um, in regards to vampire movies dealing with teenagers, I definitely would not say that, sir. I mean look at Once Bidden, which is a Jim Carrey movie dealing with uh, being a virgin and uh teenage you know, being with vampire. Of course there's Twilight, which is all about teenagers. Uh you know, you could even go to um, you know, the one with Tom Cruise interview with a vampire. Uh so you can't just say that this is the Only one with teenagers. I mean, maybe it's the most famous one of the teenagers, but it's definitely not the only one. So thanks for writing in, sir. Good to hear from you. So let's get to our final email of the night. Comes from uh, John the Mailman. Good to hear from you, sir. Here's what he had to say. Hello, Mike. First, let me say the EZA episode was so much fun. Thank you, sir. I had a blast on that episode. A lot of laughs and some pretty interesting stories. Surprise, no one said that this was the first ever podcast with the three of you. Which is true. It was definitely a sweep the Mojo's Flicks episode It was definitely awesome. The Lost Boys was a movie I didn't watch till later in life. Uh, during the Twilight era people said those Twilight vampires suck. Lost Boys now that's the real deal. So I checked it out. I really enjoyed it. Four out of five stars. It was a cool look into the lifestyle of uh, the world of that world and I liked the music too. I missed the Corey era and never got the draw. Maybe you can let me in on it. In regards to the draw, I think it had to do with the fact that they had so much chemistry together because uh, you would have one that would always want to do something crazy and the other one was always the conscience, which if you were to flip it around, it was always – Corey Haim was always the one that would want to do the – you know, the drugs and the alcohol and Corey Feldman would try to stop him, if you will. So definitely on screen, it was kind of flip-flopped. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but that's kind of the perception that I get by watching all the behind-the-scenes documentaries and all that other stuff. Uh, you know, the this is your life, Corey Haim, you know, rehab, all that other stuff. But overall, though, it was just cool. Two Corys who weren't brothers but just best friends with the same name and just worked really well together, kind of like Jason Statham and Jet Li. They've made a bunch of movies together. People dig them. They're always fun. They work well together, and that's kind of how the Corys were, so – uh, better than Twilight, but Twilight is a guilty pleasure of mine. I saw Pacific Rim. It was really fun. They give you some good action. Monster robot action. Four out of five stars. It was a simple story, predictable ending, good effects. I walked out wishing my son was old enough to go and enjoy it. Uh, you still on in regards to Pacific Rim? I mean, it's pretty easy to know. Uh, in regards to uh, predictability, I mean, you go in knowing that the you know monsters versus robots, the robots are gonna win. Let's see how it happens, you know. Uh, but it's good times, man. Uh, are you still on that Superman high? Or are you back to earth? I am definitely back to earth, sir. Next email, maybe I'll give my thoughts a Man of Steel. I know the na- the nation is waiting. John, the mailman, considers email delivered. P.S. And again great easy A episode. Well, thank you, sir, so much for the love on that episode. It was so much fun. I had a blast. It was great. So thank you again, Jason, for coming on, man. And uh, Jameson, uh, as always, it was always a blast, sir. Uh, so good times. And we do have one final thing. And it's not an email, but it's an iTunes review. I've been meaning to read this for a while. Usually, I get to these suckers right away and I read them, but uh, I believe it's because I had like a Underground Hour or something, and and with Easy A. It just took a while to get to. So, All right, so this iTunes review comes from Javier, and here's what he had to say. Outstanding. I can't say enough about this podcast. I get more pleasure listening to Mike talk about his favorite movies than I do listening to the quote-unquote top movie reviewers. I like that unlike most movie podcasts, he is not super critical, and he just enjoys films, even if they are not the quote-unquote highest-rated, critically acclaimed films. From Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to The NeverEnding Story He has something good to say about almost every movie and doesn't nitpick at every detail and just enjoys movies for what they are. I really like that he loves 80s movies because that has always been my favorite decade in movies, TVs, music, etc. I just really, really love this podcast and I have to say it's out of all the dozens of movie review podcasts I've heard on iTunes store, this is my favorite. Which... Man, that's incredible to hear. Uh, He says, I really enjoy your show, Mike. And if you ever feel that your show isn't successful or nobody listening, just keep up the good work because I'm listening to every episode that comes out and enjoy every second of it. Javier. Man, Javier, that was an amazing iTunes review, sir. You had some amazing things to say. Uh, you know, I want to hear from you, man. E- email in sweepdelaypodcast@yahoo.com, STLpodcast@gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. You know, come on over to the STL Nation over on Facebook. Just type in STL Nation, uh, and you know, just ask to join the group. And man, I'll, I'll get you in there, man. I definitely want to hear from you. you. You, you had some awesome things to say. Thank you so much. Those are such kind words. And you pretty much hit the nail on the head on, on this whole podcast. So it's amazing to hear thank you so much. good times. And if you want to write in, please do so on iTunes. You know this has been great guys. I have uh, 25 uh, ratings and reviews on this on iTunes. You know, and there's a lot of podcasts out there that I've listened to that's been around for like four or five years. and they have like five or six iTunes reviews. And it's really cool because, as you know, I was at like a four and a half star rating because I got like a really bad review on here because somebody's an idiot. But anyways, uh, it was really cool because the ones that have come in boosted all the way up to five stars. It's been great, good times, love it. So you guys are amazing. Thank you so much, STL Nation. You guys rock. So uh, that is it, guys, for all the emails and iTunes reviews. So let's go ahead and get into the music spotlight.
0: Here comes the and now sound
1: all right guys music spotlight time and I'll be honest with you uh, I really didn't have anything for you because when I was getting ready to do the underground hour where I did the Top 10 Guilty Pleasures. I went through over 4,000 songs in my iPod and I got kind of tired out with music, you know, just trying to find the the perfect matches to get that top 10. It was so much fun. I got it out there. So I really didn't have anything in particular for this episode. And then I thought, well, there's one song that I've been loving, feeling, and kind of matches up with this episode. Uh, There's a song that I really love. It's called Not Gonna Die. And, you know, it's kind of like how Michael's feeling. You know, he's not going to die. He's not going to become a vampire. But I played this song on EZA during the intro of uh, Movie and Music News. Uh, what I love about it is uh, you didn't actually hear the real beginning. And the real beginning, remember how I told you about how I love kids that kind of sing and kind of have a haunting voice? That's how this song starts off with this girl with the real haunting and scary voice. And it, it's it got this uh, choir that comes in. And it's just... it's Not choir, but it's just, oh man, it's hard to explain. But it's really good. I really dig it. And uh, it comes from uh, my second favorite band of all time, Skillet. This is the, uh, I believe, the most downloaded song on the rise album which as i told you is the number one rock album at least it was last week i believe now it's dropped to number two or three but this is the one that everybody loves because it's got a lot of cello in it Uh, of course jen ledger the drummer she does a lot of singing the music video is really great kind of reminds me of aha's take on me so i really love this song it's called not gonna die and as i uh, told you with my top five favorite songs of 2013 that that list was going to change well this song is fighting for the number one spot currently so we shall see uh which one it is so i hope you dig it it's good times and uh don't forget to write in for bill and ted's excellent adventure i did say that on friday i would have that episode out but i want to give you guys a little bit more time so i'm going to wait till next tuesday because i haven't gotten any emails on that and I just want to make sure I give you guys enough time, you know, to listen to this and watch Bill and Ted and send in your emails. So we'll do that next week on Tuesday. I'll get out Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And then in the weekend, I'll get out Bogus Journey. And then the following week, we'll start back up uh, the Chick Flicks for Guys series uh, with Mannequin. So that is it, guys, for the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a blast. It was good times, even though I lost part of my recording. But starting over again It was cool. Uh, I got to say some things I kind of forgot to the first time around. So, again, remember, if you want to write in, I gave you the email address. Don't forget to go to Facebook. Like the page, www.facebook.com slash sweepdelaypodcast. Follow on Twitter at STLpodcast. And uh, join the group, man, STL Nation. It's a lot of fun there. Uh, The exclusive club, as Jason put it, is uh, super fun. So I will catch you guys on the next episode. So you guys have a good week. You guys take care. Misunas out.